We have today this famous and memorable encounter between Jesus and this man, and we know a number of things about this man from our text. We know that he's rich. We know that he's young. We don't know that from our gospel, the gospel of Mark, but Matthew tells us that the man was young. We also know the, the man was somewhat of high moral character. Jesus asked him a number of commandments if he's followed them, and he says, yes, he's followed them since his youth. He's concerned about issues of eternal life. He asks the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So we have a man who's not only materially wealthy, but he's spiritually wealthy. Right? The guy's the real deal. And not only that, not only materially wealthy, spiritually wealthy, he's also humble. To, he's humble enough to admit and to acknowledge, to realize that he's missing something, that he's lacking something. So that's quite the combination. He's rich, he's young, he's religious, he's morally upright, he's humble. He's asking all the right questions by all standards. This guy is the whole package. Ladies, if you're single, this is the guy you want, okay? Companies wanna hire this guy. This is, this is the guy you want on your team. He's the whole package. You gotta even imagine that Jesus is, is, is thinking to himself, man, this is an impressive guy. He comes up, he run, runs up to me, he calls me good, he kneels before me. He's asking and he's concerned about questions for, uh, about of eternal life. This is an impressive guy. Here I am with his ragtag crew. I, like, I wanna, I need this guy to come along with me. And yet, the strong words that Jesus gives him sends him away packing sad. Even notice the disciples' response in verse 26. The disciples' response when they witness all of this, they say, if this guy doesn't get in, if this guy can't get in, who does? Who can? Like, what? if there's no hope for him, who's there hope for? This man thought he was really close. He thought there was one more thing that he needed to do, and yet Jesus tells him, you're not even in the right ballpark. And he goes away sad. So that we don't go away sad this morning, we need to look at the wrong power that this man was under. We need to see if we're under that power. And then thirdly, something for us to do, a move for us to make. And so first, the wrong power this man was under. What we have is the, uh, the issue at hand is, is, is eternal life. So we got just something that's bare bones, basic. What's, how do you et attain eternal life? What must I do to enter eternal life? And right in the middle of Jesus getting to the basics of Christianity, Jesus brings up money. That is to say, if you, if I want to be a disciple, if we want eternal life, money is an issue. Many people believe that you can't, you can't have great wealth. You can't, you, there's no way to, one could have attained great wealth without cheating, stomping on other people, exploiting other people. If somebody's wealthy, at some point along the process, they must have cheated, they must have exploited people. 
Some people even say holding wealth is an act of injustice, right? There's political and philosophical philosophies that hold that. What is it that Jesus does here? What does he say? He says in verse 19, he asks the man a series of commandments. Not all of them, but notice the ones that, some of them that he asked. Kind of to get right at this question. Do you defraud? That is, do you, have you illegally obtained money from someone? He asks, have you stolen? Have you lied? Have you taken from someone? And the man says, from my youth I have kept all these commandments. The man's not only, not only materially wealthy, he's spiritually wealthy. Jesus doesn't say, okay, you're lying. He doesn't say that. So all that is to say, one can certainly make money through being a slime ball, being a jerk, through deception, through cheating, through exploiting people, but you can also become rich by honest hard work. You can also become rich by discipline, by delaying gratification. It is clear that Jesus does not have an issue with wealth as it were, that it's not intrinsically evil. But on the flip side, Jesus does say this in verse 25, it is easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for one who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. That is to say, I remember as a kid always in, in the pews, most, one of the most memorable Bible passages I have in my youth, I just remember trying to think of a camel going through an eye of a needle. This is to say, Jesus is saying it's impossible. And he goes on to, to clarify that in verse 27. He says, for man it's impossible, but for God it's possible. So we just looked at how Jesus clarified he, it isn't that money is bad, but he, he's not saying that money is bad, but he's also not saying just be careful around money, right? Just make sure, you know, just, just, just give a little bit, make sure you're not, you know, greedy and, and you'll be fine. He's not saying that either. Jesus is saying this, that wealth is dangerous. He's saying that it's its own power. It's strong. And it can bring out, it can bring one from out, from underneath God's power and bring it under its own power. Jesus elsewhere, in, in Matthew's gospel, chapter 6, verse 24 says, you can't serve both God and mammon. You're either going to serve one or serve the other. Here's what, here, here's what the Bible says about wealth being dangerous. Paul to Timothy, 1 first, first Timothy chapter 6, verse 9 says, Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare. The Greek word Paul uses there for snare is a trap. It's an animal trap that, that has bait inside of it. He says, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and hurtful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. In the following verse, verse 10, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Notice it's the same thing that Jesus is saying. Not that money's evil, but the love for it, the desire for it is evil. Paul says, some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. This is what the rich young man went away with. Other translations say that his heart was grieved. His heart was pierced with grief. He realized that his possessions had a hold 
of him, that he was underneath a pow the power of money, the power of possessions, and he couldn't get out from under it. He wasn't under the power of God. And some of us may be thinking, well, this morning, well, like, I I'm, I I'm good. I'm good with this. I'm not rich. So it's like this gospel, this homily doesn't apply for me. But you don't have to be rich to be under the power of money. You can be poor and have little of it and still be under the power of money. Because the desire for wealth, Paul says to Timothy, plunges men, the desire for it plunges men into ruin and destruction. The power, being under the power of money, throws things off whack. It throws things, it, it takes things out of order. Family can become out of order. We can, we, we can, we can look around and say, I, I, I've got all this stuff, I've attained all this wealth, and then look around and say, where's my family? Christianity requires us to be poor in the face of God. That is to realize that we are utterly helpless on our own. We're utterly helpless. Christianity requires that, to have, that for us to have that disposition before God. And that moves in, that moves us ultimately to pledge our allegiance to him. This is what the man, the rich young man could not do. He could not pull himself out from under the power of money and he couldn't pledge his allegiance to him alone, to Jesus alone. And see, this is why wealth is dangerous, the scriptures say. The wealth is dangerous because it has a power that keeps us from making that move. And so secondly, how do we know that we're not under this power? And see, that's the interesting thing, because this power, the power of money, it's sneaky. It, very few people will admit that they're under the power of money. But very few times, like, I mean, we, you look at that it's even, very few people will even admit that it's possible to be underneath the power of money. You look at the seven capital sins, the seven deadly sins. Lust. Like, you... You, you know when you commit lust. It's like, yep, here it is. Sloth. I, I know when I'm being slothful. But greed? It's sneaky. You don't even, you don't even, it's common that you don't even know you're underneath the power of money. That's where, that's where St. Paul to Timothy says the power of the money is like a trap. All of a sudden, you're walking around a cliff, and he says it just plunges. You, you just fall underneath the, off the cliff. So questions, questions maybe for us to ask ourselves this morning, to see if we're under the power of money. When you look around and you see other people who have more than you, who do better than you, who have more things than you, does it bother you? Like, do you, do you resent them for it? It means that we're under the power of money. Do you, do you worry about it too much? Do you worry about money too much? If money's always, too, always on your mind, if you're thinking about it too much, you're worrying about it too much, if you never have enough money and you always want more, no matter how much you have, it means we're under the power of money. Our trust, our security is in money and not God. God demands our allegiance. It demands that our trust and our security and our dependence is on solely on him. He demands it. Do you see your 
possessions as an extension of who you are. That is to say, do you use them as a, as a signal to yourself and others of who you want to be and who you want to be with, who you want to hang out with? Even think, thinking as we pull up, pull up to a red light and we see the car that's next to us that maybe is just junk. Do we find ourselves viewing that person differently that drives in that car? Thinking that we're better than, that means that we're under the power of money. And so here's lastly to close, just two moves for us to make. Two moves for us to make. The first thing is to be generous. Jesus tells this rich young man to sell everything. Now, we know, I think this is the only time in all the gospel he tells anybody to sell everything and give it to the poor. Even a, an encounter later with Zacchaeus, Jesus tells him to sell 50% of what he has. So don't get bogged down with percentages. The key is to give and to be generous to the point where we feel it. At a, at, at a sacrificial level. That's why in, in the coming weeks, we're going to have a poor box in the, narf, in the narthex. A poor box. That, to have the poor always before us in mind is a good thing. It helps us get out from underneath the power of money. And then lastly, simply this, a move for us to make this morning is to pledge our allegiance to him today. The rich young man in the gospel that we just heard was not able to do that. He was not able to pledge his, his allegiance to him because it was too much under the power of money, the power of possessions. They held him too tight. For us today, in the silence of this liturgy, after this homily, when we receive the communion, the Eucharist, and we head back to our, our pew, and we kneel down, a prayer in our heart to say, Lord, I pledge my allegiance to you and to you alone. I surrender my life to you this day. Help me desire you, Lord. Pledging our allegiance to him and to him alone helps us to go under his power. We will inherit eternal life and not walk away sad.